Hi, it's David Locke, host of Locked On NBA, also host of Locked On Jazz. Great one today. The coach, an NBA coach, comes on the show anonymously. We'll talk about big-picture playoff items so far. We'll look at the four series that are taking place. He gives some great insight, something you simply can't get anywhere else. Only on Locked On NBA as part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you grab Friday's show coming up with Anthony Irwin and Adam Modest. They do a great job as well. Here comes the coach on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The coach with us now on Locked On NBA, the Thursday edition NBA coach, hired by an NBA team, comes on our show anonymously. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, coach, let me go before we dig into the two Western Conference series in segment two and the two Eastern Conference series that are left or or even those teams that are gone in in segment three. Um, let me go big picture as, as you're watching this with an acute eye and saying, what trends are going on here? What do I have to be aware of? What is jumping out to you about this year's playoffs, understanding that probably seven days from now, those, these will be crystallized a bit more. But uh, what are you seeing right now? Uh, well, hi, David. First of all, it's good to be back on with you. And uh, you know, one of the things that just kind of jumped out to me, you know, as we got into the semifinals, uh, both of uh, both conferences is kind of the, the youth theme, um, you know, and there's the old, you know, the old saying in the NBA that, you know, you got to have veterans to win this time of year. And, you know, and that very well may play out when we get into the finals. Uh, but, you know, you have some really uh, kind of interesting and exciting young players and slash teams uh, in the, in the, uh, in the semifinals, you know, you, in, you know, in the West, it's, it's, you talked about, you know, the, obviously the Donovan Mitchell is just taking everybody by storm and, you know, with the jazz and now after last night's win, um, you know, obviously you see the rookie leading their team, you know, against which a lot of people have picked uh, to you know, maybe, you know, contend and win the NBA championship this year. So obviously that's what a great story with him. And, you know, then in the East, it's, you know, you've got the, the Celtics who obviously are hurt, but yet you've got young guys stepping up and, uh, you know, Tatum and, and Rozier just comes from nowhere last or two nights ago and has a great series. And, and then obviously the 76ers who, you know, for the last, what, five years, six, seven years have been a, a rebuild and a story. Now you got all these young guys and you got Embiid and you got Simmons and the, you know, those guys are just playing great. And then, you know, the, the storyline for the Raptors has been, which they weren't actually that great in, in game one, but has been their bench and their young guys, you know, giving support to the starters for the, for the Raptors. So that's kind of an exciting theme for me to watch just to see these young guys who have played so well in the playoffs to this point. Any thought on why? Uh, you know, it, it, I think the NBA is changing in a lot of ways. It's always, you know, it's a very fluid situation. I, you know, you can big picture, you can go back to, you know, these guys are now kind of, you know, the, 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 the rite of passage is always going to be there, David, but I think there's a, an easier rite of passage to, to getting, you know, playing time and respect. It seems like guys respect younger guys quicker these days. And maybe it's the, you know, the, the, the short-term, you know, gratification just in our lives in general. But if a guy can prove something right away, then all of a sudden they get better uh, trust and better respect. Um, I don't know. I know these guys also have guys early on when you start in the AAU and the, the elite teams and the travel teams and all that. And maybe guys are just more mature uh, coming into this. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that you can pick one thing. I think those are some things that may attribute to it. But, uh, and truth be told, there's a lot of good player development going on along the NBA. And, uh, you know, so it's a, I don't know, but it, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to watch just to see the young guys go out there and, and, uh, and play really well. Now, we'll, once again, like I said earlier, we'll see if, you know, when we get into the conference finals and the finals, if we still have a lot of young guys 
um, you know, who are playing great and leading their teams. But, uh, you know, so far that's been kind of a fun theme for me. You know, it's interesting. We criticize the AAU system f- for all of its warts, and, and they're real, okay? Uh, but there is something, I think, to what you just said, and maybe it's even we criticize the whole social networking world these kids grow up in, but they're just exposed to more, and they just see more, and maybe that just makes them more ready. They've been in big events. They've played huge games for, you know, it, it's – it's not as big as the NBA playoffs, obviously, but when you're 15 and you're playing in one of these huge tournaments, it's the biggest thing a 15-year-old can play in, right? So it's the biggest thing they have. And I, I, I wonder if these guys might just, the, for all the negatives, I do wonder if those are some of the positives out of, this, out of the system that, they're growing, that the game's growing up in. No, you're right. We could do a whole, you know, whole podcast on that or probably a whole series of podcasts on that. But, you know, in some ways, I hate to say this, AAU is a little bit like the NBA because, you know, and the ones who get caught in the middle of the college who are supposedly amateurs. But, I mean, let's face it, AAU is pay for play. And, you know, and you have people that you get the best players and, you know, they get the best gear and they travel. You get the basket, the, the shoe companies behind them and everybody behind them. So, in some ways, you know, that makes sense to what we're talking about. And, uh, and these guys are just a little bit more prepared than they were back in, you know, in the old days. All right. Um, is there anything about the game? We've spread out the game a little bit. It's easier just go one on one, go beat guys. I mean, maybe that's not fair because you know Mitchell has ten assists, and uh, we're you know Tatum's making a lot of plays for guys, and Simmons is obviously an assist guy. Um, so maybe that maybe that's not fair. I mean, they're doing a lot more than just scoring in the way they're playing. That's maybe actually what jumps out a little bit about it. Um, yeah, no, I know, and I, I mean, I also I, I would not disagree with you on that, but I also think you know as the as the NBA is, even though it gets more physical and played. Uh, in the uh, in the in the playoffs, it just in the rules in general, as they've adapted over the years, has kind of maybe opened it up a little bit for younger guys to to be able to you know to score and have more freedom of movement. Because obviously that's a big thing with the NBA's freedom of movement, and um, you know these young guys, you know they they start watching the NBA when they're in the AAU and working on those moves then, and you know now they get up there and they have the freedom of movement, and you know guys just can't like hug you and lock you up when you're out front. So maybe something to that. I don't know. I think that's a good point. Uh we talked before the show uh, and you said the other thing that's jumping out to you is that as much as this league is about Harden's 30 and Westbrook at the guard position and Donovan Mitchell doing what he's doing, that the, in your, a lot of this playoff still, the, the big man, while different than the way Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal like to talk about going down to the post and pounding, uh, having big, huge seven footers still matters in this game. Well, you know, it sure does. And in, in the four series we have going on right now, maybe other than the, uh, you know, the, the, the Golden State Pelicans, you have three other series that have, like, really some intriguing center matchups. Now, granted, you know, it's usually the, the teams are playing one center and four guards around them, but that's a whole other story. But, you know, in, in the Jazz-Houston series, you have, you know, Rudy Gobert versus Clint Capella. I mean, that, that's just fun to watch and very intriguing. Um, and then you have, you know, uh, Jonas Valanciunas has been playing terrific for, uh, you know, in the playoffs for Toronto. And now you got Tristan Thompson, who you know must be on hiatus from the uh, reality show because now he's made an appearance back, and he's played great for the Cavaliers and really helped them win the game seven of the first series. And now going against Valanciunas, he's going to be a big part of it. And and with that, you've got Jeff Green, who is kind of a you know if you look at his career in general, I think most NBA people would say probably it's a little bit of a disappointment. But boy, he's really found a nice niche, and now he's obviously playing five a lot with the, the Cavaliers. But you know Jeff Green going against Valanciunas is fun. And then the, then the, I mean, probably the, you know, the, the best young, this is an understatement, best young big man in the league with 76ers is, you know, Embiid. 
and he's going against Aaron Baines, who is like the Brutus of the NBA. Um, you know, and he's an unsung worker. Um, and I, I really enjoyed watching that game the other night, those two guys going at each other. So, I, you know, as, as much as the league has gone away from the old traditional center, um, there are some really intriguing center matchups in this in this round. Let me ask you, I, I, having been embedded with the Jazz all season and watching them win ridiculous amounts of games, like 29 of 35 on a team that nobody would ever think would do that, it's made me kind of try to recalibrate what I believe about the league. And and I, I think the Jazz beating the Thunder is an interesting one to me, and I want, I want your thoughts on this. So if, if the – First of all, if you told, took those two rosters at the beginning of the season and said, well, one of them will be predominantly healthy, their stars will be healthy, and the other one's star will miss 35 games, but they're going to have the same roster or same record. Nobody in the world would have taken the Thunder and the Jazz to both have the same record. And then no. they go play in a playoff series, which I really honestly didn't think was particularly close. I mean, the last game was, but the Jazz really hammered them in that series, winning winning most quarters of the Russell had an unbelievable run, Paul George, but it took these superstar performances uh, for them to even win two games. What is it? What what's what are we missing? There, there's you put those two rosters at the start of the season. All, ten out of ten experts are taking the Thunder over the Jazz, and they were all wrong, including me. Like probably, like I'm not. I'm not yeah. just. It's not just me being a homer. Like, but something we're not valuing something in the game when the Jazz are better than the Thunder. And I think at this point it's undeniable that the Jazz are better than the Thunder. Yeah, it's a very good observation. And, and was it you, David, that took the um, Thunder to be in the finals? No, it was, was that, not. Was that you? No, I had the okay. Thunder as the number two team in the West until the day they signed Carmelo. And then I had them as gotcha. the okay. sixth best team in the West. Okay. All right. I just want to check. So, yes, um, but, no, you bring up a great point, and I – you know, to, to the to the genius of, of the Jazz, and there's not—I don't think there's just one—I don't think there's just one thing that I, you contribute to in um, that. But you know, in, in watching the Jazz when I have this year, uh, they they have mastered um, one under, understanding the new NBA, um, and they have become as good as anybody, if not better, in two things, in my opinion. Uh, first of all, is they are really, really good at executing the pick and roll. Um, and when I say that, you know, obviously I got lucky with it. Donovan Mitchell and he's evolved over the year. I saw him several times this year and played against them when they were, you know, when he was young until or young in the season until late in the season. And obviously he can score out of it, but you know, their bigs have become great rollers. Their bigs can both catch the ball on a half roll and make the right read out of it, which now brings shooters into it. Uh, they're, they're, they're pick and roll players. They have multiple of them, make the right reads. They're as good as anybody in the NBA in executing the pick and roll. And then the second thing they're good at, and, and I don't want to take anything away from their play structure or their system, but the second thing they're, they're great at is attacking the closeout. And, you know, a little bit what I mentioned just a minute ago with the bigs making the right reads and the guards making the right reads. When the ball is moving for the Jazz, these guys, I mean, they, they, you know, Dennis Lindsay's put enough shooters around them, you know, that you got to respect the shot the shooters from the three-point line, but they attack the closeout as good as anybody in the NBA. So those two things to me were why Gold, or, uh, Gold said, why the Jazz were, were I don't want to say head and shoulders, but were a much better team than Oklahoma City because Oklahoma City still plays a bit of the ISO basketball um, and the ball doesn't move like them. And you, in, 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 in most nights, but even in the playoffs, you know, even though those guys are great, and man, are they good individually, 
know, defense, you can play guys, teams five and six times in a row. You're going to kind of figure out what they do, and you're going to load up against them. So um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that, uh, to me, that's why the Jazz, you know, beat the Thunder. And, and honestly, that's why the Jazz have a chance against the, uh, the Rockets going forward. We'll talk more about that series as well as the Warriors and Pelicans coming up. We'll turn it over to the Eastern Conference as well. We're talking with the coach here on Locked on NBA. Remember, every NBA team has their own podcast, daily podcast, on every NBA team. Take them through the playoffs and walk you through the draft. Find your favorite team and subscribe to their podcast on the Locked on Podcast Network. All right, let's start with, let's stay there. Jazz uh, surprise everybody and beat the Rockets in Game 2. Um some of the adjustments to the switching defense of the Rockets were, were pretty remarkable. Uh, they also, the Jazz had an had a insane shooting night, and the Rockets did not in a make-or-miss league. Uh, what jumped out to you about that performance, and is, do you think this is really a series, or the Rockets are still vastly superior? I think we'll find out if it's a series when it comes uh, Friday night when the uh, Jazz and Rockets play in, in Utah. Be interesting to see. I mean, you know, obviously the Rockets only have to get one game here to make it you know back squared, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Rockets come out and respond. You know, the Jazz obviously had a quick turnaround. They played, you know, Sunday after winning a big game against Oklahoma City on Friday. Uh, and they were, I don't want to say a bit flat, but, you know, they just didn't have all their juices. And then, you know, so they got beat pretty easily in game one. And then they sat in Houston for three days and, and uh, kind of regrouped. And then, you know, they, they responded. So it'll be interesting to see, first of all, how Houston comes out. Um, you know, I, quite frankly, I thought Houston almost played like they were going to win the game last night. Start the game kind of casually, you know, kind of easy. And then all of a sudden, they weren't making the shots they normally make, and they didn't have the energy. And and the Jazz were out there to try to prove something. So, um, but you know, from from a technical point of view, there, there, you know, there's a. I agree with you on, on the shooting thing. You know, the Jazz. I think I think you've told me this in, over the year, throughout the year when we talked. Is you know, obviously their their wins and losses are so tied to their you know making threes and when they do that. I think then last night they shoot almost 50%, and Joe Ingles goes 7 of 9, has a career high. So uh, the one beautiful thing about the just the playoffs in general are watching guys step up and play great. Like, for instance, you know, Alec Burks last night, you know, who has, a, you know, probably by his estimate, most hadn't had the year he's wanted to have. You know, he was huge last night in getting the Jazz off to a great start. Um, you know, a, another interesting matchup for me to watch in this is the – you know, how Royce O'Neal kind of got thrown into the starting lineup um, when, you know, Ricky Rubio got hurt. Um, and, and granted, nobody can stop James Harden, but Royce O'Neal's not out there to score. Royce O'Neal's out there to play defense. And really, that's his whole makeup the whole time he's there. And I, I enjoyed, and, and once again, you understand what I'm saying, and nobody really stops James Harden, but I enjoyed watching how hard he worked because that was his singular purpose um, on the in the world last night was trying to guard him and uh, he really you know jumped into it both feet and that was kind of fun for me to, for me to watch. Here's a great note on that series: Chris Paul and James Harden, the starting backcourt for the Rockets, have played more All Star games than the Jazz starting backcourt Donovan Mitchell and Royce O'Neal have played playoff games. Chris Paul and <laughs> Chris Paul and James Harden have played more playoff games than Donovan Mitchell and Royce O'Neal have played regular season games. That's awesome. <laughs> I, 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 I don't really have a comment on it. It's kind of speechless. And I guess it's a tribute to those two guys and what the Jazz have been able to do. But that, that's just amazing. <laughs> so the, the Rockets are unique defensively. They switch 
at a rate of two times the next – no, wait. They, they switch at three times the average team in the league and 50% more than the Warriors, who are the second most in the league. Okay, so they switch at a really, really high rate. Last night, the Jazz took advantage of some of that switching. The bigs up. They got the roll guys to the basket. They got the driving lanes behind the big. If – what happens to the Rockets' defense – that's that different than everybody else in the NBA if it gets exposed. Well, you know, it's, it's a great point. And the, and the Jazz, to their credit, did make a huge adjustment last night. And they really got Rudy, Rudy Gobert involved. And how they did it was on the hard rolls. And, and you saw that, especially early in the game as, as it went on. Um, you know, the, the, the one thing that the Rockets do is they, they're going to compete. Um, I don't see them making a lot compete defensively, but I don't see them making a lot of change defensively because that's what they do. And at the end of the day, I, I think their, their, their motto behind them is we're going to give you some resistance defensively and try to make it hard for you. And I hate to use the word junk the game up, but then we're going to beat you offensively. And that's where, you know, when they shot the ball so poorly last night um, that they weren't able to beat the jazz. So uh, to the jazz credit, they made some nice adjustments um, you know, and I, and I know that, you know, watching film, the Rockets will probably try to, you know, maybe be you know more aware of the role now and, and maybe not switch as aggressively up the floor and maybe just switch a little more softly, um, and get into the legs of the big. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't see Houston making a whole lot of changes. Cause I, I just kind of know the way coach D'Antoni is and they, they, they kind of do what they do. The thing that's interesting uh, by the way, let me make sure I'm clear on this. What happened in Game 2 is the Rockets shot badly and the Jazz shot well, and that's why the Jazz won. Um, and unless that happens a bunch more times, I'm not convinced that this is as big a series. as like I think that's really what happened. There were a lot of adjustments that, that narrowed the gap. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, only four times before this series started in 87 games did the Rockets take less than 40% of their shots as threes. So less than 40% of their attempts being threes, not makes, just attempts. In games one and two, they were both below 40% of their shots as threes. So they, if, if that hap continues to happen, they've lost their biggest math advantage. No, absolutely. And I, that was, that was going to be next on my list of, uh, of keys. So you jumped, you jumped on it, but, uh, um, you know, not, not only, yeah, let's put it this way. If you're going to, if you're going to beat a team like the Rockets, you can't take everything away. There's just no way. They're too good, right? They've won a gazillion games this year. They've been the best team in the league. You can't take everything away, you know, and you, but you've got to find something that you can take away. And, <clears throat> excuse me, looks like the, you know, the Jazz have really worked at, you know, having both feet outside the three-point line and their pickup points, you know, and trying to drive guys off that three-point line. And another interesting stat would be, you know, like, for instance, the Jazz had a ton of wide-open, uncontested threes last night. Um, and most, not, not only were the three attempts down for the Rockets, most of the three attempts were contested. Um, you know, and, and that, that's an awful hard shot when it's contested. So that, to me, that's going to, you know, I, I put down just watching some of the keys of the series and it's the, the contesting the three is probably, um, the key for both teams, uh, because the Jazz need uncontested threes and the Jazz have to contest the threes of the Rockets in order to have any chance. All right, let's go to uh, Pelicans and Warriors. I've never seen a series played at this pace. They, they, <laughs> they played 110 possessions the other night. Yeah. 
um, well, you got two two systems that are, uh, you know, basically a mirror of each other. And you know, when they when they got that matchup, you know, I think everybody that's a basketball guy knew it was going to be a, you know, a track meet up and down the floor. The what's interesting to me when I dug into this series, it feels like no one's playing defense. That's actually not true at all. They're actually both playing defense. The defensive ratings are both for the last game. The Warriors were one ten, which is their season average. And the Pelicans were 105, which is a little below their season average, so the Warriors actually deed up a little bit. Um, it's just the game is so fast. Uh, what's your – is there uh, – it feels to me the Pelicans are really good, and with Miritich they, they have something pretty neat going on. But it does feel to me a little bit like the Pelicans are playing the Warriors game and the Warriors are the best in the world at it. Uh, well, I think that – I mean, that's, a, that's, the, that's the easy observation, and I think that – I mean, I think it's absolutely true, um, but I, I also don't think that the Pelicans could play a slowdown game and have any chance in the world. So I agree with that. I think you know, there, there's two things in my mind that, that come to play here. Is you know, one, if the Pelicans play the Warriors, and I know this game one they didn't have them, but if they play them over a seven game series without Steph Curry, uh, I think they have a much better chance. Um, but then you know, Steph Curry, who hadn't played in what. 50-something days or whatever it was, I don't know, 40 days, whatever, comes back and scores 28 easy points in his return in Game 2. To me, that's game, set, and match. Um, I hope not because I, I hope this series goes a long time because it's kind of fun to watch the way they go up and down the floor. Um, but the, the Warriors, who um, you know, who were kind of, I won't say limping, but maybe disinterested for the last quarter of the season, are back alive and they're interested and they look like a totally different team. And, you know, they now as as disinterested as they looked um, back in the last quarter of the regular season, they absolutely look engaged now. And I, you know, it'd be hard for me to pick against them going forward with with anybody. I mean, they just flip a switch. I mean, what, what, they just were bored. Like, they like Steve Kerr manages perfectly and they were tired all year. And so he actually just laid off. I mean, and maybe Kerr was brilliant all year. I don't know that he laid it off. I think you know he understands what his team is. But you know, you got to think they've had three years now, four years of incredible deep playoff runs. They've been in the finals. They, you know, everywhere they go, there's you know, there's it's it's like a, a traveling circus. They show up at a hotel, at, you know, on a back to back, and they get in the hotel at one o'clock in the morning, and there's 400 fans there, and you know, they, it's just it's grueling. And at some point, you got to figure out, you know, what what is the what is the diamond, and what are you playing for, and you know, if you know you can get to the diamond when you play for six weeks hard and engaged, uh, or eight weeks, I guess, um, at the end of the season, the, the regular season just isn't. It's human nature. Just, it's I'm not saying it wasn't important to them, but you just the. It's just hard to get there when you've had this kind of stretch that they've had for this long a time, and it also kind of speaks to their brilliance of how how great they are. One other point on that series, just statistically. We talk about shot quality using second spectrums, you know, quantified shot quality. The Warriors are the best shooting team in the league. They have the best shooters in the league. I mean, Etwan Moore is actually pretty good, and Darius Miller is pretty good, but the Warriors have the best. You To compete with the Warriors, you have to find a way to have much better shot quality than they do, because, which is really, really hard, because their shooters are better than anyone else's shooters, if that makes sense. And the Pelicans have been close, but the Warriors' shot quality is at 52% effective field goal percentage of the series, and the Pelicans is at 51. It's not that big a deal. 
other than the fact that by the time that comes into real life, the Warriors is at 54 and the Pelicans is at 50 because the Warriors just shoot so much better. If you're going to beat the Warriors, you have to have better shot quality than them, and the Pelicans have not found a way to do that yet. No, they haven't. What's interesting is uh, they shot better from the three-point line, the Pelicans did, than the Warriors did in game two um, and still found a way to win. And To me, the other thing is that the, the, five, the five starters for the Pelicans are just playing phenomenal. Um, but in game two, that they only had 13, pen, 13 points off the bench. I, you know, the, the Pelicans that have a chance are going to have to, you know, their bench is going to have to give them a little bit more. And, and obviously going home, that should help that out a little bit. Um, I actually kind of think that uh, the Pelicans will play great and win game three in, in New Orleans. Um, but uh, the bench is going to have to play better. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I probably, I don't, we'll see. I might, all right, I'll regret this comment. I just am not entirely convinced the Warriors have flipped the switch. Maybe Steph, Steph's the best offensive player in the league by far. So him being back, as you said, is game, set, and match, and maybe it just doesn't matter. But I do feel as though they're still that the Pelicans still could go grab games three and four and the Warriors then win five and six or something of that sort. Like, I, I, I think the Warriors I, – I don't see the Warriors just – maybe they have. Maybe they've just flipped a switch and it's just going to be smooth sailing. But I think they've had warts all season long, and I think some of them are still real. Um, we'll find out. Maybe, maybe I'll regret that comment. We're talking with the coach. We're going to turn the focus to the Eastern Conference next uh, when we continue. Remember, Locked On Podcast Network also has the NFL for you. If you have a favorite NFL team, want to know how they did in the draft, you can go subscribe to that podcast. All right. Uh, Igor Kokoshkov just got a head coaching job with the Phoenix Suns, and he's a good friend of mine, and he has a great line he says about the playoffs he's, in, in his great accent. Um, he says that, the uh, playoffs is really a very, very turbulent plane flight, and you have to have someone who can land your plane. <laughs> does Toronto just does Toronto just not have someone to land their plane? Um, you know, first of all, Igor's a good friend. I'm very happy for him um, you know, to get his opportunity. There's it's such a great story, and he's obviously paid his dues. So, um, very excited for him. And that is a great quote about a. Um, you know, the playoffs and, um, you know, I, I think it's yet to be seen, you know, that, you know, you, and you obviously you were, you weren't there, but this is uh, a very similar analogy is, you know, I think back in 97 and 98, I think that the people that live in Utah and Utah jazz fans feel like that they probably would have been at least NBA champions one time if it wasn't for one guy. Um, and I think even to this day, 20 something years later, it's still in a lot of the people who are jazz fans head. Um, well, I think you're you're kind of looking at a similar situation in Toronto with the King, LeBron James, and the Cavaliers. Um, you know, I think this is this is the absolute worst case scenario for them in a second round uh, is having to play Cleveland. Um, I, I, I know those guys well, um, and I've known them for a while, and I know that you know it, it is a bit in that organization's head that, you know, LeBron James is the killer of their organization. So um, maybe on the other side, maybe they this is good that they can go ahead and, you know, if they can win this series and maybe they win the whole thing, you know, go ahead and, you know, kick that dog down the road. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it, it, it not only is playing against him and the Cavaliers, um, you know, a hard task, but it has become monumental in their brain that it's a, it's a big issue. That was LeBron's off night. Like that was that was the night where LeBron's old and has played a lot of games and his body didn't show up and they and then he willed them to a win. That I'd be just totally terrified if I was the Raptors. 
Um, well, he still had a triple-double, even though he was an off night. He didn't shoot the ball well, but yes, but I, I, mean, I, I mean, agree. He checked out with a three-minute – I mean, you just saw it throughout the game. Like, he checked out at the three-minute mark of the first quarter, unusually. He stayed on the bench longer than he did. He ended up playing 47 because they went to overtime. But he, it, it was clearly a night where he was managing that game. He, he knew his body didn't have anything left after the last series. No, no, I agree. And that's also part of being a star and great that he understands it. Um, you know, he, he, he has just been phenomenal. Um, and you're right. But I, I, I think, I think it's going to be a great series. I, I, I would be shocked if this isn't the most competitive series uh, of the semifinals. Um, I may be wrong, but, uh, I, I mean, I get excited about watching all of them, but this one's very intriguing for me to watch. Uh, one, because of what we talked about a little bit about, you know, how Toronto's had such a great regular season and, and they have the, um, you know, they, they have the burden of the LeBron, the, Le, the, the he's their, their killer. Um, but then just what the Cavaliers have gone through all year long. And, um, I, I, I have just become so intrigued in watching the Cavaliers and how they evolve from one night to the next. Um, you know, you get the storyline of Tristan Thompson now, who basically was, you know, filming a reality show the whole year and didn't hardly play. And now all of a sudden he's back. And I mean, it just, it, it's such an interesting series and, um, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how this all plays out. I'd be shocked if it doesn't go to a game seven. The Raptors were great. The big stories, their new ball movement, their their bench group, all those things. The one thing they weren't great at during the regular season was they were seventeenth in the league offensively in the final five minutes of a close game, and they were nineteenth in the league defensively in the final five minutes of a close game. And now in the playoffs, in the four close games they've played, their offense has been awful. Um, they have an 80.3 offensive rating. W- why does that ball movement go away? Um, you know, pro- probably one, I'll give a little credit to the defenses. Uh, once again, because when you're playing a team over and over and over again, you kind of, you know, you, as good as DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are, you kind of know what their moves are when you play them every night over and over and watch film on them for, you know, two weeks solid. Um, and I think some of it is just kind of go to what you know when the pressure's on, right? And those guys are, Obviously, both incredible uh, one-on-one ISO players, and you know as much as they, as good as job as they've done in moving the ball this year, and they've kind of tweaked their offense, and uh, it's moved. Uh, you know, when like the old thing saying, when pressure comes on, you know, you go back to what you know, and uh, those guys have done it. And uh, you know, I do think that they will. That, I think that's probably a little bit low for them. I think they'll get better as as it goes forward in, in the in the playoffs. It, it better because they're shooting twenty six percent from the field and eleven percent from three in clutch. So they be- they should get better. Like, yeah, well, then, yeah. You, you you, but so, by the way, interesting kind of where analytics, I think, is really valuable. Ever, ever, the Toronto Cleveland series is entire offensive series so far. Like, like that game's all offense. That was a slow paced, 90 pace game for as fast. The defenses were actually better in the Golden State New Orleans game than they were in. Is that to either side's advantage yet that no one's figured out how to stop someone? Is that to Toronto's advantage because they're the ones that's most likely to actually play defense and stop someone here? Uh, I think that's a fair point. Uh, you know, I also think the other thing, and it goes back to what we talked about, it's a make or miss, um, you know, league. And, you know, you got J.R. Smith, who's kind of almost been a no-show for a lot of stuff. He goes out and makes five of six in the first game from the three-point line. And, and then you then you dust off Kyle Korver after he plays about 15 to 20 minutes a game during the regular season in the playoffs. You know, they insert him into the starting lineup, and that's kind of what's changed it. And Kyle's looked like, you know, the Kyle of five, six years ago. He's been great for him. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's shot-making. And, um, you know, obviously defense has a lot to do with that. But, you know, when you got, you know, the greatest player on the earth, you know, going to the basket and, 
when everybody collapses on him and he's finding guys and they're making shots, they're, it's hard to guard them. Um, so, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I, I think the defense will get better just because, once again, of, of the repetition of playing each other. Um, but uh, I, I just think it comes down to shot making. Uh, good point. Uh, just pulled it up. Uh, Toronto was minus six in their effect, uh, projected effective field goal percentage. So they really uh, – Houston was minus 10 the other night. That's the worst. They really just had a terrible shooting night. Boston, Philadelphia, super fun. Probably the Eastern Conference Finals for the next decade, it feels like. I mean, this, this, this really feels like the precursor of the next decade, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does, right? Both organizations have done a great job of, of building with their young guys. And, um, you know, I, I've labeled this the, the young versus the hurt series. Um, it's the young 76ers who you know, obviously are you know, making their way through uncharted territories versus the Celtics who you know, seems to have had major injury after major injury and, and keep finding a way to, to win. And, you know, I, I think the one thing that, that when I say the previous series is probably the one I look forward to the most, I think this one will be the series with the most volatile, volatility. When you have youth and you have injuries and new guys playing that aren't used to playing, I think this series is going to be all over the place. Um, and, you know, I mean, almost like the stock market, up, down, up, down, up, down, I guess, because I think it'll be fun to watch and just to see, you know, who, you know, who steps up and plays. You know, like the 76ers obviously just shot the ball just, you know, horrifically bad in game one um, for them. Um, so they're going to have to obviously shoot the ball better. But, you know, the, the Celtics, when they had the three guys step up, you know, Rogier goes 7-9 from the three-point line, and, you know, Tatum all plays great. And, you know, so that it's just it, it, it's this may be the fun series to watch just because it's new and it's kind of like you said a kind of a precursor to what's going to happen. You know, it, you would think if everything stays the same going forward for the next you know several years. What is Brad Stevens running that's allowing him to just plug in different guys and Shane Larkins and Shemi Olajes and sur- somehow surviving with these guys? You know, I, I think it's it's more of the, the system. You know, as far as you know, playing the right way, sharing the ball, attacking, getting a piece of the paint, moving the ball, making the right decisions with the ball, not playing selfish. You know, they, you know, they, they don't play a lot of ISO basketball. And, um, you know, so I, I, I think that's part of the reason why guys are able to step in. I think they have a culture there of, of guys that when they come to work, they, they come with a good spirit and a good soul. Um, even when, you know, like some of these guys didn't get their opportunity through most of the year, but, you know, I think Brad does a great job creating that culture. And then when they get their chance, you know, they're ready to step in. Um, so I, I think a lot of that has to do with that. I, I, I would be very worried about the long-term prospects of, you know, their success. I'm going to say long-term, I'm talking about the playoffs here, um, you know, just because of all the injuries they have, but it's kind of been fun to watch just to see these young guys continue to step up. Well, uh, can Ben Simmons survive in a playoff series without a shot still? Is, like, does he ever need to learn a shot? Well, he's, he's, to this point, he's proven he doesn't, so <laughs> we'll see. Um, you know, I, I think that's what everybody keeps thinking. It's going to show that he's going to have some warts when you get deeper and deeper in the playoffs. But, you know, the guy's been really good so far. And, um, you know, he's a very unique player. It's, he's he's a, he's a, he's a out-of-the-mold type player. You know, we all want to – you know, uh, judge guys on kind of the mold of what we know. And he's just a break the mold kind of guy. And I think his whole career is going to be that way. And you know, heaven forbid, he does figure out how to make 33% from the three point line. If he does that, then we're all in trouble. Yeah. I mean, he, his, his handle for that size and ability to get wherever he wants to go to on the floor is, is, is really pretty awesome. 
really pretty awesome. Well, Coach, I really appreciate the time. Great insight. I know everybody will enjoy this very much. They would thank you if they could, but since we won't tell them who you are, they have no way to thank you. So we appreciate you <laughs> taking the time very much. So. <laughs> All right, David. It's always fun to be on with you, and uh, good luck with your team calling the, calling the playoffs. I'm sure you're having a blast. That's all. It's good. It's been great insight, and uh, we'll see see if see if they can shock the world again with a, you know, I, I here's the thing that interests me, and maybe this is total media of me. Maybe you'll disagree as a coach, and and I'll get this as your last thought. As even though we're supposed to be done now, we're still live. Um, if the Jazz win Game Three, does Chris Paul having never get out got out of the second round and James Harden's playoff failures of last year have any impact on the series? Or is that the media making stuff up? Uh, I know. I think it definitely has an impact on the series, um, especially because of uh, you know what happened with with the Rockets organization in general last year when they kind of blew that you know against the Spurs uh, and literally they blew it, um, and then you know with the Chris Paul thing. So no, I, I I think players are human beings, um, and you know I think the paranoia would would come out then. Uh, if it happens, um, you know, they're also great competitors. And I, um, but I think don't think that wouldn't be in the back of their mind. So I, I don't think it's just a media thing. I think it is a, a human, human, human psychology thing, if anything else. Coach, thank you very much. Greatly appreciate it. All right, David. Thanks. It's always fun.